I do want to really encourage all of you to be here for Bible class two weeks from today. I love being a part of a church where we can explore things, we can look at things, we can question things. And so we will be tackling this subject of of musical instruments in worship. For some of you, you probably have a view on that. For some of you, you probably have no clue of why we're even talking about it. But for all of us, I actually believe it will be a great exercise in us handling Scripture and treating each other well. So please make plans to be, be here two weeks from today. And on January the 1st, 1863, Abraham Lincoln signed the Emancipation Proclamation. It proclaimed that all slaves were free. But it wasn't until June the 19th, 1865, that the last slaves in Texas finally understood that and were made free. That's why this Juneteenth celebration has become a big thing in our country. Now, what I want you to see is there could be a proclamation of freedom, but everyone didn't experience it on the spot. We are studying the book of Galatians, if you're our guest today. The theme is freedom. And Paul is proclaiming this boldly to us. But if we'd be honest, for most of us, it is sad, but it takes us time to finally recognize and embrace the actual freedom that we have in Christ. You see, in Galatians, Paul is answering two questions. Question number one is what saves you. Question number two is what changes you. If we're being theological, the first question is about justification. The second question is about sanctification. Now, Paul says there's two choices, two pathways you can go down to try to secure these things. The first is law. The second, which he's presenting, is the gospel of grace. Now, there's a great contrast here of how you pursue God. The law is about outer conformity. Grace is about an inner change. The law is about human effort. Grace is about the Holy Spirit. And so it's quite different. You see, Paul believes that law, not only can it not save you, it actually will not change you. Just handing you a list of rules, even a set of rules as good as the Ten Commandments, is not life-changing. Why? Because it encourages you simply to look good on the outside. Never forget when I served as campus minister in Tuscaloosa, we had a take a student home day lunch in our house, and so Stephanie cooked, and we had a bunch of kids over, and there's this one kid that came in, you know, with a, a coat and tie. That's back when people actually wore those things. I mean, he came in with a coat and tie, and so I kept encouraging him, you know, we're sitting down eating, relaxing, having a good time. Take your coat off, man. Take your coat off. You don't have to wear your coat. For a while, he just wouldn't move, and finally, he took it off. And I found out why he did not want to take it off. Because when he shed it, his shirt was completely wrinkled. Except the V right down here, all right? He had ironed that. And guys, that's what happens when we have a legal basis for our righteousness. We pay attention to what people can see and often don't pay attention to the inside that they cannot see. Also, outer obedience brings out rebellion. You've probably heard this in raising children. Rules without love brings forth rebellion. 
I mean, you know this if you walked in the lobby today. And, and there was a sign out there on the wall said, wet paint, do not touch. What are you going to be tempted to do? Touch. Or if there was a sign that said this, do not look on the other side of this sign. I'll tell you what I'm doing. I'm looking on the other side of the sign, right? It brings out that rebellious part of us, and it leaves us susceptible to outside pressure, okay? If I'm obeying God because of the pressure of keeping the commandments, if there's another pressure through people that comes in my life that feels stronger, I'll probably cave. I read a fascinating story about this this week. Um, some of you old enough to remember Wilt Chamberlain, one of the greatest basketball players in history. And he just was a superstar scorer. But he had one big problem. He couldn't, he just couldn't show free, shoot free throws. And so teams had learned to foul him before he ever got down the lane. So he'd have to go to the free throw line. And so he's awful. Now, there was another man in the NBA at the time called Rick Barry. And Rick Barry had this really unique way, especially for the NBA, of, of shooting free throws. He'd put the ball between his legs and hove it up. We call that a what shot? A granny shot, okay? So finally, Chamberlain became so frustrated with his numbers, he was trained to do the granny shot. And the next NBA season, his percentages went out the roof. He was being so successful. But by the next season... He quits shooting granny shots, and his numbers go down. Here's what Chamberlain said, this big, strong man. I felt silly, like a sissy, shooting underhanded. I know I was wrong. I know some of the best foul shooters in history shot that way. I just couldn't quite do it. Someone actually studied that. Why could Rick Barry keep doing it when nobody else was, and Wilt Chamberlain couldn't? And they found out that all of us have an inner threshold of the number of people it takes around us doing something for us to be willing to do it. And Rick Barry had this threshold that he didn't actually have to have anybody else shooting granny shots. Chamberlain had a threshold that if other folks weren't doing it, he couldn't do it. And God's that's the problem with the law. If it doesn't change your inside where you've got a strong enough threshold that you don't have to please people around you, that it won't change you. So we must have an inner change, not just a set of rules. That's what Paul's talking about. So let's dive into Galatians. First passage, Galatians 3, let's look at verse 26. Here's where, where Paul is explaining why this is so powerful. He says, so in Christ Jesus... You're all children of God through faith. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. And it breaks down all social distinctions. There's neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you're all one in Christ. Paul says our freedom begins when we meet Jesus. And we don't try to work for our salvation we put faith in Jesus for our salvation. And then he continues to talk about that transformation in chapter 4, verse 4. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman. He was born under the law to redeem those under the law so that we might receive the spirit 
adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons. God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. The spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you an heir. Now let's talk for a minute, because he's talking about the beginning of your Christian life. How does transformation begin? If you're taking notes, write these down. These are so important. Number one, God accepts you on the basis of the finished work of Christ. Salvation in Christ is not based on what you do. It's based on what has been done for you. You see, Jesus finished the work. You're probably familiar with that last phrase Jesus said on the cross. It is finished. In the Greek language, it's one word. And it simply means, it was an accounting word actually, paid in full. Guys, there's nothing you can do to pay for your sins. Jesus has done it. There's nothing you can do to contribute to your salvation. It's been done by Jesus. And so that's the finished work of Jesus. Number two, God adopts you as you express your faith in Jesus through baptism. Now, someone would probably, at this point in the message, bring a legitimate question. How in the world does baptism belong in Galatians? If Paul doesn't believe you can earn your salvation, you can contribute your salvation, then what in the world is baptism about? Now, Paul makes it very plain. There's two parallel statements in the passage we read. You are all saved by faith. And then he says, without any hesitation, for all of you who are baptized into Christ, they've clothed yourself with Christ. Paul did not look at baptism as an addition to faith. He looked at baptism as an expression of faith. You see, baptism taught wrong is it's my checklist, and if I get it right and understand it perfectly and do it right and my hand doesn't pop up during the baptism, then I'm okay. Right? You ever seen the rebaptism of the hand pops up? That's not Paul's view. Paul's view is that baptism is a way that I express my faith in the saving work of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And that's why it's so important. So because of that, we are adopted. Guys, this is my favorite picture of salvation in Scripture. It's such a powerful picture. That God did not want Jesus to be an only child. And so he came to adopt us into the family. I love that because that's a choice. People can unintentionally get pregnant and have babies. But you don't ever accidentally adopt. That's why we celebrate in this church as a family has worked for years researching and adopting and we go wow what a beautiful thing God feels the same way Ephesians chapter 1 we're talking about our adoption it says our adoption gives God the Father great pleasure my friends what this means to us is that we have the privilege and rights of being sons and daughters of God Now, this doesn't sound radical to us, but you need to understand this fact. No other religion in the history of the world has ever felt familiar enough with God to call him 
father. This was radical. In talking about radical, he says the spirit within us cries out, not just father, but what? Abba, father. What's Abba? It's, it's their childhood name for daddy. You think about Abraham, Abraham, father of nations. The first word a child would say toward his father was, he couldn't say father, he would say Abba, daddy. And even for some of us, this is rather radical, that we can be so close to God, so close as sons and daughters, that we don't have to approach God with fancy language and big titles. We approach Him as our daddy. Now, what's so important about this second point is this determines who you are. You're not just some Christian struggling to make it. You're just not some sinner saved by grace, maybe heading, you know, holding on by a thread. No, you are a son and daughter of the king. My friends, that changes you from the inside out. And then speaking from the inside out, what he also taught us here is that God anoints you with the Holy Spirit to draw you closer to him. How close? He's in you. What does he do? He changes you. You see, Peter would say, the work of the Holy Spirit is sanctification. I had a friend make this really real to me years ago. Someone asked him, because he's really into the Holy Spirit and a Spirit-filled man, what is the purpose of the Holy Spirit in our lives? And he sort of shot me by his answer. His first line was, the purpose of the Holy Spirit in our lives is the same as his purpose In Mary's life, the Virgin Mary's life, I thought, what are you talking about? What did the Holy Spirit do in the Virgin Mary's life? Here's what the Holy Spirit did. The Holy Spirit formed Christ in her. And you hear lots of debates about what the Spirit does and the Spirit doesn't do, but I'm going to tell you the primary purpose of the Holy Spirit is to form Jesus Christ in you. We've already said, guys, that law-keeping would never do it. It can't change you. But God who puts His Spirit in in you can literally change you. So look at these three things. He accepts you based on Jesus' work. He adopts you into his family. And he anoints you with the Holy Spirit. Transformation begins from the inside, not the outside. As one person said, God took the worst in us and put it on Jesus. And he took the best of himself and put it in us. So as we come around the table these next few moments, I want you to focus on these three statements. If you go back just for a second. Just focus on these three things that we have said today about God accepting you, about God adopting you, and God anointing you. Listen, as we come to this table, you don't come to this table because you're worthy. Paul's teaching in 1 Corinthians about not taking the Lord's Supper unworthy was about the out-of-control, divisive way they were treating communion. It wasn't about you coming to this table based on your own merit and efforts. In fact, none of us can earn our way to this table. God has made a way for us to sit at this table with his son. 
And what I want you to focus on these next few moments, as you take the bread, and literally it goes into your body. As you take the juice representing the blood, and literally it goes in your body. That that is indicative of this inside-out change that God wants for you. I want to do a little exercise before I pray. I'd like to invite you to close your eyes. I read this in a spiritual transformation book the other day. I want you to just close your eyes, and I want you to visualize some things with me before we take communion. As you sit there in your pew, imagine that you have an extra layer of skin or even a full body armor around you. And that it keeps God's Spirit out of the innermost parts of your being. It's a barrier. It's a shield to God's Spirit coming within you. Now hold this image in your mind just for a moment. Now think of another image. Destroy or rip off the barrier. And invite the Spirit of God to penetrate you, to overwhelm you with His love. For the Holy Spirit to take up permanent residence in your body to make you His home, His holy temple. So visualize the barrier. Visualize ripping it off. And visualize the Spirit bringing the love of God into your heart. Sit quietly just for a moment until this work is complete. And prepare yourself as you take communion to express gratitude that God is with you and God is in you and that we are saved by the body and blood of Jesus. Father, so many of us have gone down the path of law, of trying to save ourselves, of thinking if I could just get it together, I'd be okay with God. And we found that, as Paul would say, completely inadequate, completely ineffective, and we ended up walking away frustrated. And so today as we come to this table, may we be reminded that you change us by grace that you change us from the inside out. That as we partake of these emblems, they're symbolic that you reach down to the furthest parts of our body. That this spirit that you gave us is within us. It confirms to us that you love us. It says to us we're close enough in these next few minutes to even call you daddy. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. I can't think of a song that would express what we're trying to say in this message any better. Do we believe what he says about us? We do have all these other voices that are telling us we're not enough. And he tells us we're loved. 
to tell us we're weak when God says you're strong. When tell us we're distant and God says, no, you're held. When we feel estranged from God and he says, oh, no, 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 you're mine. You see, what I want you to understand this morning is that the same facts we've talked about that actually are a part of you coming to God are also a part of you changing. You see, for many of us, we can believe everything I've said about the moment of baptism. Because we come out of the water, we feel close to God, we feel on fire for God, we feel assured. But I keep walking, and I'm not overnight perfect. I keep failing, sometimes at the same thing. And so a couple years down the line, or 10 years, or 20 years, I may not even have the assurance I had at that beginning mark. And this is Paul's point. Not only does this save you, it changes you. Look at Galatians chapter 3. Verses 1 through 5, where Paul is upset with the Galatians for going back to law after they've been saved. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. He's hot. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? After beginning by means of the Spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? Have you experienced so much in vain, if it really was in vain? So I ask you, again, does God give you His Spirit and work miracles among you by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? Paul says, the same thing that secured you at the beginning is now changing you. So let's look back over this and make it a little more simple than what we did just a moment ago. How does transformation continue in your life? Let me give you some some words to put in these blanks. First of all, it happens when you know you're loved. He says you're loved. That's point number one. He accepts you through Christ. My friends, there's nothing more life-changing than unconditional love. That person who loves you no matter what. And God is that person. Number two is identity. You're adopted. That's who you are. You don't walk, you know, into life with some of those old tapes maybe given to you by parents or cruel friends that you'll never amount to anything, that you're a failure, that you screw up everything you do, that life, you're, it's just never going to work for you. You don't go with those old religious tapes that say, you know, you'll never get it all right, so you can never be saved. You walk into life with a new identity. Who are you? Who are you when you walk into your workplace? Who are you when you walk back into your home? Who are you when you walk into your school? You are a son and daughter of the king. That's who you are, and you live out of that. And then on top of love and identity, there's the power of the Holy Spirit. God anointed you with His Spirit. Paul will say in Romans chapter 8 that the same power, the Holy Spirit, that resurrected Jesus from the dead, guess what? It's in you. That's what leads to transformation. So I'm asking you, do you believe that you're loved? Do you live life knowing that God sees you as a son and daughter? And are you tapping the power of the Holy Spirit? 
You see, that's what changes us from the inside out. You see, what it does is law brings out the got to. I got to do this. How many times I need to read my Bible? How many minutes are my quiet time? How many times I got to go to church? What percentage of my income do I have to give? There's all these questions. Do I got to do it? Do I got to do it? The inner transformation brings you to a completely different place. It's, oh my goodness, God, I cannot believe how good you've been to me. What do I get to do? It changes you from the inside out. It brings something different out in you. And guys, what happens, we're going to go to Galatians chapter 5 for just a moment, is he's going to show us what are the results of these two choices to God. Understand this. The law will bring one result. Grace will be another. Now, before we get into two passages, the law result is called the acts of the flesh. The grace result is called the fruit of the Spirit. See, I, I, I don't know, I'm slow. But this is the first time I've ever connected all of Galatians to chapter 5. I just thought we had these lists. Here's a list of bad things, and here's a list of good things, and hope you got it. No, 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 no. What he's saying is, this is the end result. If you walk in the flesh, if you walk by human effort, it's what you do. It's how you act. In the long run, it won't work. And the flesh will take over. So let's look at these two passages and talk about it just for a moment. Galatians chapter 5 Look at verse 19, and notice the contrast between acts, things you do, and fruit, what God does in you. The acts of the flesh are obvious. First thing he does, he tells us about some sexual sins, sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery. Then he lists some religious sins, idolatry and witchcraft. And then he lists some relational sins. Hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy. And we know that church was struggling with all those things. And then he lists some drinking sins, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. And then he shakes us up with this warning. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. So that's the acts of the flesh. Where does a grace-filled, spirit-filled life lead? Listen to verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying one another. Now I want you to see where we've gone in this lesson. We started off by the two choices of trying to have your life right with God and how to change. One is called law, the other is called grace. We conclude this morning by the two results. If you choose the rule route, it will lead to the acts of the flesh. Because it's about human effort. It's about you changing yourself. And listen to me, your sinful nature 
your flesh on your own is too strong for you to overcome on your own. On the other hand, if I accept the grace of God, if I live in my adoption as a son or daughter, if I allow the Spirit to permeate my life, it leads to the fruit of the Spirit. You get an extra line this morning. Winona Krosky called me after first service. She said, buddy, I can, I can boil this down. It's so good. She said, this is the difference between doing and being. That's right. When I live in who God says I am, he produces this fruit. Now, that's our challenge. Our response is to live in it. Our responsibility, look at verse 25. Go back to verse 25 for just a moment. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. That's a military term there. Keep in step with the Spirit means to line up in a straight line in the military. So so it's God's business to change us. What is my responsibility? My responsibility is to just keep on living in the presence and line with the Holy Spirit. Now, that's, that's easier said than done. When our daughter, Lindsay, went to preschool, she came home after the first day. I said, baby, how did you like it? She said, I didn't like it. I said, what was the problem? She said, Daddy, all they were doing was teaching us how to get in line. And I already know how to get in line. Guess what she flunked on her first report? Getting in line, all right? It's not always easy. And here's what he says to us, is our responsibility is simply to make sure we stay in this environment where we hear the voice of God and not the voices around us, where we put ourselves in a place for the Spirit to work within us. We're in the Word. We're in prayer. We're in the fellowship of the body of Christ. We are sowing to the Spirit. I stay in step with the Spirit, and then God begins to change me. So please understand the point of our whole message. Real transformation, real change happens from the inside out. That's what Paul's trying to say to us. Let me give you one more story that brings it home to me. Read years ago of this woman. In her first marriage... She was married to a rather cruel man. He was dictatorial. He he felt like he needed to rule her with an iron fist, and he did. In fact, it was so bad that every day before he went to work, he would give her a checklist of things to do. And when he came home, he'd check it. And needless to say, it was a pretty miserable marriage, but she stayed in it. Until, unfortunately, he passed away in a terrible accident. A few years later, she remarries. This time she chooses better. She chooses a man who adores her, who loves her, who serves her, yes, leads her with gentleness. A couple years after that, she's up in the attic going through some old boxes. And in one of the boxes, to her horror, she finds one of the lists her first husband used to leave her. And at first, she just wanted to crumple it up and throw it away. But she decided to read it. And when she read down this checklist, she was 
very surprised because she was doing every one of those things and loving it. And my friends, that's what Paul's saying to us. If we'll start this thing from the inside out, we don't have to be fearful that we're all going to go crazy and not keep the commands or we're going to live rebellious or selfish or sinful. No, no, no. Paul, Paul said that's not the result. The result is you will be so full of me that you'll want to keep the commands because I'm going to be changing you slowly but surely into the image of Jesus Christ. And so this morning, if you come to this service frustrated because you've been trying to change yourself, frustrated because you just keep on going back to the acts of the sinful nature, and you don't see a lot of evidence of the fruit of the Spirit, if you're just beginning, let me tell you this. Why don't you come and be baptized today and clothe yourself with Christ? You can't save yourself by works, but you could throw yourself and put faith in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. If you've done that, and like these Galatians, you've gone back to law-keeping. Hear Paul, what started you will help you finish. And if this morning you need us to pray for you, that you can let the gospel of grace go deep into you, and you can embrace the power of the Spirit, your adoption as a son or daughter, to change you. If you want us to pray about that before you leave, come right now while we stand and sing.